second Corinthians 13 verse one. We're in the last chapter of second Corinthians. So, um, we're going to be finishing this up here next week. And then we're going to have a couple Christmas messages. And then by the new year, we're going to be starting in Galatians. So we're going to keep on going. We started at Acts and we're just going, you know, we did Mark Acts and then we're just going to keep on going through the new Testament. So, um, so many good things through this book. I I've been encouraged and challenged in so many ways. Uh, as we see the church, the church of Corinth, very carnal, um, very, uh, into flashing lights and into the whole, um, things looking good and, and, um, you know, kind of prosperity kind of mindset. Um, and Paul is showing them the real, who Jesus was, who his disciples are supposed to be or what they're supposed to look like. And, uh, so yeah, let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, thank you so much for this time this morning and for each person here. And for those we know who are out cause they're sick, Lord, we pray that you would be with them and heal them and, um, that you would, uh, yeah, just heal their bodies and, and keep the rest of us from getting all that Lord. And, and that we pray that you just, uh, be with us in this time that you'd speak to us by your word, Lord, that you would, um, Lord, that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and you give us a heart that's willing to be challenged and changed. So we pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. So, um, if you're new, Paul's been challenging, uh, the church of Corinth, they've got so many issues and one of their major issues has been authority. And so they've been challenged. They've been not listening to Paul and Paul's been challenging them on the way they see things. And so he's saying, don't worry, I'll come back. And they've, they've kind of, um, mocked him saying, you know, you're, you're real big and bad in your letters, but when we see you in person, you're really nice. And he had said, don't worry, when I come back, you'll know that I am exactly who I say I am in the, le- uh, in the letters too. So he's going to have a third visit where he's planning on coming out and meeting them and being able to speak to them about some things that he sees as not just little things, but um, major issues that are at the root, at the core, at the foundation, that are going to rob them of what it means to follow Jesus, that are going to rob them of being free from the trappings of the world, of the, the culture, the flesh, the, everything that's around them. They're letting that still dictate to them what is reality, what is truth, where value lies. This is their identity. And so Paul has major issues with that because he wants them to be free. So this has been, he's been doing this for, since chapter 10, going over the same stuff. So, uh, verse one, this will be the third time I'm coming to you by, uh, the mouth of two or three witnesses. Every word shall be established. I've told you before and foretell as if I were present the second time. And now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest that if I come again, I will not spare. So Paul's saying, I'm coming to you the third time. And then he, he, quotes from Deuteronomy 19:15 commentators believe this quote that's the by the word uh, or by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word shall be established some think it's it's in his three times he's come to see them some believe it's literally witnesses that are going to come with him most believe it, it, it is because he's going to bring, in a sense, judgment. He's going to come and he's going to give them, ju- he's going to judge the works that he's seen. And, and it's not that there's sin issues. It's that they're continuing on and they see no reason to correct it. We get, had gotten some insight from this in 
uh, the book of first Corinthians, right? And there's some really nasty, gnarly stuff going on. Very Jerry Springer esque stuff going on in Corinth. It's like mothers with, uh, you know, stepson and, you know, whatever. And, and I mean, sorry, it wasn't that, that was literally Jerry Springer. Uh, this was mother-in-law and, and, uh, you know, son-in-law and they had no problem with it. They were okay with it. And so Paul's like, you've been, this stuff has been addressed, you know, full well, but you're continuing in this and no one around you is even checking you. This is a problem. This is, this is the leaven that leavens the lump. It's the, it's the yeast that makes it all blow up. So uh, there's, there's issues and it's, they need to be addressed. And I've tried so hard to be super nice, but sometimes you just need to hear it straight and it's going to have to come a little bit with a harsher tone. Kind of talked about that a little last week. Some kids, you know, you, you tell them they're in timeout and it absolutely devastates them and it does everything it needs to do. Some children need a little bit more aggressive tactics. You know, you know, your children, which ones are which, right? You're like, do a timeout. Oh yeah. Okay. Whatever. (laughs) That means nothing to me. Right. Some kids, if you raise your voice a little bit, they're weeping and it's like you've destroyed them. And, and uh, you could already see them sitting in the, in the chair as an adult in therapy. One time my dad yelled at me, you know, and some kids can't, that's not it. And some kids, they literally can't hear you unless you're almost screaming. Like they just can't hear you like, Oh, were you talking to me? Yes, I was for the last 15 minutes anyway. So Paul's taking these different tactics. He's like, I've come, tried to be really, you know, nice. And I've tried to be really honest and I've tried to be really gentle and try to do all these things with you, but I'm coming and I'm going to tell you the truth. He said the second time, uh, as I, for, uh, I have told you before and foretell as if I were present the second time. And now being absent, I write to, uh, to those who have sinned before and to all the rest that if I come, I will not spare. What he means is I will not spare means I'm going to lay it all out. So we know he, he had come the first time. The second time there was this, he, there was this letter that was given and, and it was, or this visit that was not great. And now he's saying, when I come again, I will not spare. I will, I will be ready to go. And so you guys, and his intent is not like, he's not excited about having to be bold like this with them. Uh, He wants them to change before he gets there. He wants them to get it before he gets there. Like, I don't want to have to carry through with this. And again, as a parent, if you start counting to three, you have to count to three to, to get to your room. When do you ever count to three and go two and a quarter, two and a half? two and three quarters. Uh Oh, I jumped too far, you know? And now all of a sudden you're like two and seven eighths, you know? And like, is you really, I do not want to have to do what I'm going to do next. And maybe that's because you haven't actually planned what you're going to do next. That's not a great tactic either, you know, to know what's going to come next after you, when you get to three, you better be, you know, ready. Cause it's going to be bad when I get to three and they're like, let's just get to three and see. And you're like, oh, no, <laughs> that's not what I thought you would say. So you, you, you start going. And the idea is not like, oh, I can't wait to get to three so I can bust you. Oh, that's, that wouldn't be great, okay? That it means it's time for you to take a time out. The great um, 
philosopher and you know prophetic show Family Matters growing up. You guys remember that? Uh, Carl Winslow, the dad of Family Matters, he had he had a thorn in his side, and his name was Steve Urkel. Right? It was the neighbor. Steve Urkel was always bothering him and breaking stuff. And and I remember one episode in particular. He he had learned a coping mechanism. Does anybody remember what it was? Three, two, one. One, two, three. What the heck is bothering me? So he has to like go through this whole thing every single time. And soon he's shaking his head because he's getting so angry trying to deal. Anyways, that's not where you want to be. You don't want to be in, in that red zone level. And for most of us, it's like, I just want you to do what I've asked you to do. I'm not here. I don't want to punish you. I get no joy out of it. In fact, if you get joy out of it, that's, that's a problem for you. This is not good. But when you get to that point where you go, I just want you to understand. So Paul's like, guys, listen, when I come, I'm not going to mix words anymore. I'm going to say it straight. And my hope in doing that is not to feel self-righteous or not to be like, ooh, you got it. Burn. I told you I'd get you guys. But it's for them to see it for themselves and go, you know what? He's right. Paul's like, I'll do whatever I can do, whatever I have to do to try to get you to get it. And if you don't get it, then, you know, this is a problem. So he's trying to, he's like, please, guys, listen to me. I don't want to come like this, but please, please, please heed my warning. I'm coming back here and I'm going to, and I'm going to deal with it. Verse three, since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. Again, the Corinthians loved the show. They loved to see the the fancy speakers. They didn't like the way Paul looked. They didn't like the way he spoke. They didn't like any of that stuff. They liked the smooth, you know, good looking, uh, you know, smooth tongued, silver tongued, you know, kind of leaders who had all the flash, all the, you know, the light show behind them. This was, this was what they wanted. And Paul says, you know, I, I know since you're seeking proof that Christ is speaking in me. Remember, there were gifts that were taking place in Corinth. And they were like, well, we haven't seen enough of that. Paul's already kind of dealt with this when he spoke of literally going to heaven. <laughs> He's like, no, I, I've actually have experienced some spiritual like encounters. Maybe just a few. Right? Well, I know one time we were worshiping and all of a sudden, you know, the jail broke open in half. So like our gates were open. That was pretty cool. When we were worshiping, we brought on an earthquake. Yeah. The whole family ended up getting saved. You'll read about it later, but they were looking at it and they, and Paul's again, like you guys don't see me as anything. I understand that again, this has nothing to do with Paul um, wanting accolade. He doesn't care about that. He just wants them to trust him because he's the one that formed this church. He was with them for a year and a half. He loved them and he wanted them to see the truth. Just like a good parent. I can't let you think that way. I can't let you go that way. I need you to see it. I'll do everything I can to help you open your eyes to not make the same mistakes I did. Open them up. They were underwhelmed with Paul's presentation. They didn't, they weren't very into it. And Paul's saying, don't worry, the power's coming. (laughs) You guys want to see power? How about Christ speaking in me? Don't worry, it's coming. You'll see the power. Verse 4. For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. 
we are also we also are weak in him but we live with him by the power of god towards you um this is speaking to their metric or their measurement of what strength is like if you don't understand what real strength is you don't get it like a lot of the things we think are strong like growing up as kids don't actually turn out to be strong a lot of times it's like the weakest thing you know like right the the bullies are the ones who've been bullied right like you go man this person they've probably never been afraid of anything. no the reason they're doing this is because they've already experienced this and and hurt people hurt people right we know this we see this this is normal to us it's not like some strong well you know they're like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna make you all feel bad no they're they know who they are. They're content with that. These are people who are broken. And we see the world's metrics. The people who are obsessed with success can never get enough of it. People who are obsessed with fame can never get enough of it. People who are obsessed with money can never get enough of it. And so he's like, your metrics are off. And so people thought Jesus was weak. I mean, could you imagine, you know, you hear that the, the Messiah is coming, and the, okay, the Messiah is coming. He's here, and then he's born in a barn. Well, this is not what I expected. And then he's raised by a carpenter. Humble surroundings. He doesn't come up on the political platform like they had all hoped. He doesn't take over Israel like they had all hoped and become this. He wasn't anything like they wanted him to be. And and how did he die? Like the worst criminal would die. None of this spoke to strength with worldly metrics, with worldly eyes. Nothing, none of this looked like it was, wow, okay, I could totally see this. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought the Messiah would do. No one could say that. That's exactly what I thought. Yeah, I figured that that's exactly how it would go. Made sense to me. Was there prophecies? Yes, there was prophecies, but no one read them like this. Everyone wanted him to come in and save them and, and be the power. You know, this is, this is what we see. This is the value we have. Raise yourself up a leader and let him take you through. This is what we are looking for. And Jesus was leading, but he was leading from a servant position. He constantly was serving. He was, he was washing his disciples' feet. He was speaking to people that no one would speak to. This, is, this was... Mind altered. But if you continue to think in a worldly way, you won't see value in this. Of course, what ended up happening, Jesus was in fact crucified. And then he uh, rose from the dead. Over 500 witnesses saw him rise from the dead. People willing to give their lives for that sake. And the power was revealed. But it was much, much, much later, right? See, for us, a lot of times, we, you know, we can look at things and issues and, you know, you see the surface level. That's one thing. And, and Paul has been in, encouraging him, like, we don't fight against flesh and blood. There's something more going on. There's something much, much deeper going on. You can only see what you could see, but trust me, there's more going on. And when we start trusting the Lord, we start believing that that has more value than what we can see. And this is... You will not get this aside from knowing Jesus. You won't get there. You, it won't make sense. Because all you see is all you know. And what you see is, is 
this is, this is strong. This is weak. You know, this is, this is, I know, I know it's probably not the right thing, but it works. Dominative power. Put them in their place. Take it over. Take this. Do this. Do that. Become what you want to be. Don't show any signs of weakness. And they mocked Paul for his weakness. But Paul knew that in his weakness was, in fact, his strength. Right? He says that. He says, you know, I'm thankful for this thorn in the flesh. Because it's, it is being used in Christ to perfect me. And, and the power of God is evident in it. It, it. These vessels, these clay pots that God uses to show that he can do it with anything and anyone. He doesn't need the world's metrics. Doesn't mean anything to them. To him. Whatever. He's like, you guys know there's a rude awakening coming. If you see the example of Jesus and, and uh, those, those men who crucified Jesus are all long gone, right? He rose again from the dead and, and living such a meek life. Everywhere he went, people knew who he was. And it wasn't because he was self-promoting. It was like he was doing the opposite of self-promoting. He's like, please tell no one I'm here, okay? I got to go. This is too much. I'm going to go, you know. But he accomplished more than anyone, any event in human history was accomplished in the death of Jesus, a humble death. It's easy to think like this when we see meekness overrun by charisma and force. But we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus because there's always more going on than there appears to be. Charisma, you know, this is fleeting. Beauty, fleeting. You know, you, Riches fleeting. Keep your eyes on the real thing. And that will sustain you. And then when the storms come, it doesn't matter because you're got you're anchored. You're actually anchored and you know oh, he's with me, he's got me, not going anywhere. My hope is found in him. And and if it all falls apart, he's still there. He promises, these are the promises he to never leave me or forsake me. I don't see it right now with my eyes because I kind of feel like I have been left and forsaken. I don't see it right now. But I believe the promises. And then they become known in time. You get to see that for yourself. Verse 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? Oh, this is so good. This is a call, not just, yeah, take that, Corinthians. This is a call to us. I think about this all the time. Like, so you started here. Where are you now? I mean, we've always got to check in, right? Because it's so easy to get off. It's so easy to get, you know, anyway. He's talking to them about actually even being saved in general. Knowing Jesus at all. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Well, wouldn't it just be a lot more fun to just say, examine each other? I could do that. Can I pick a buddy? I have someone I'd like to examine right now. And I have some things that I've noted. And it's on this. I wrote it down. It's actually just on my phone in my notes. 
I've been keeping track. Actually, I could examine a few of you right now, and I could just, this is not true. I'm not, I'm not joking, okay? I'm not really meaning that. But like that, you know, it would be so much more fun to examine each other. But no, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. No, where are you? Now, now, this can mean in the faith as far as, do you even know Jesus at all? Or are you just kind of just kicking it? And you're kind of like, yeah, this, this thing kind of works, kind of doesn't work. I'm, I don't know. I'm just kind of hanging out. I don't really know what's going on, but um, I walked by a Target at midnight on Black Friday, and all of a sudden I was inside. I had a TV under my arm. I don't even know what happened. All of a sudden it just happened, you know, and I've gotten a fist fight. I don't even know why. I didn't even want the TV, you know. This is just kind of where it went. I just followed the crowd. Here we go. Here we are. It's easy to do that, to be, think that you're part of something, but really it all boils down to your roots, your foundation. Where is your foundation? Where does your hope lie? If your hope lies in yourself or even in your being good, then this is not where you're supposed to be. This is a, an important thing to understand, to examine ourselves. They judged, the, by the way, the Corinthians were experts at trying to judge Paul. They were wrong about almost everything, which is usually the case when you're judging someone, right? That's usually the case. Like, I always thought that about you, and then I met you. And then it was a little different than that. You did have issues, but they were different than I thought they were, right? Like, the issues that I thought, and you kind of like, oh, okay, you're a lot more like me than I thought. And the things that you have problems with are the things I have problems with, and I can't really say too much about that. Because I understand, I get it, I've been there, I've done that, I get it, okay. But judging others is dangerous distraction that keeps us from checking ourselves. Sometimes we feel like if we're judging others, we're doing the judging we should be doing. Really what you're doing is setting yourself up as, as a God. And I know what you're saying, Paul's going to judge them. No, he says the Lord's going to judge them through him. And the judging that Paul is doing is not like nitpicking at them. He's saying, guys, you're way off. You're missing the whole thing. As a loving father, please listen. But when we're judging each other, it keeps us from checking ourselves. Because we think, oh yeah. I've judged them. And in a sense, as soon as you judge someone, you've put yourself above them. Because they fit into your pocket. They're one of those. I've met those people before. They, they act like that. You know, and that's easy to do. But it, it's dangerous. The more we check ourselves, the more grace we will have for those around us who have sin. Right? The more you recognize that you need grace, the more you recognize, so does everyone else. But if you're not checking yourself, you're missing out. You don't see this. If you become high and might, and it happens all the time, you see it all the time. We all do it, but you have people who have, they have something to say about everything, everyone. They judge, 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 everything, everyone. And then they have no judgment for themselves and they have no grace. You will notice they will, if they're judging people constantly, there's no grace because they don't recognize they need it. Matthew chapter seven words from Jesus. Okay. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, 
but not but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. How ridiculous is that, right? Something that has a plank. Think of a eight foot two by four coming out of your eye and you're like, I think you got a little bit of sleep in your eye. Can I help you get it out? You're like, oh, I have sleep in my eye. Okay, good. At least it's not a two by four. Like a plank. Get I me. Mean, that's, it's, it's obvious because this is speaking to you. You know full well, you got your own stuff. And when you deal with your own stuff, it gives you grace. I need help. I can't do this on my own. And grace is the key. We always need to go back to looking at Jesus in all of this. That's the point. When you examine yourself, you don't go, oh man, I feel bad. I actually am not what I'm supposed to be. Oh, I got to try harder. No, no, no. You got to fall on your knees before the Lord and say, God, help me. Give me grace. Give me mercy. I need mercy because I've fallen short again. And if you don't know what that means, then maybe you never even got it in the first place, right? The good news is this is all good. You can deal with it still. There's time. Like, that's why we want to examine ourselves now. It's important to test it. You can build a good-looking chair, but until you sit in it, it has, doesn't have the value you think it does. It must be used. It must be tried and true. As soon as you sit on it, you go, good chair. That's right. There's a lot of times, you know, you could think it looks good. Looks great. Cut a couple corners. I've seen those. Usually they put a brace there, but I didn't think it was necessary. Come on, minimalist guys. I'm looking for sleek lines of design. I don't want to see the extra stuff. We don't need the extra stuff. All these furniture makers, they've just been doing it wrong for so long. They think they know. They don't need, you know what? Just simplify the whole thing and go, you sit on it and the whole thing falls apart. Well, that didn't really hold weight, did it? So maybe we shouldn't be judging other furniture makers of the past. You don't know what it took to do it and... As soon as you were tested, it fell. Well, then you have grace. You go, oh, yeah, I really don't know how to do that. Like, I wasn't what I thought I was. And you go, you know what? This is harder than I thought. I mean, how many times do we do that, right? Car project or something. You're like, mechanics, whatever. I could do it. I have YouTube. And then all of a sudden you get into a project and you're like, now I don't have a car that drives. (laughs) It used to drive. It made noise. Now it doesn't drive at all. And now I've got to get it towed there. I should have just let them do it, you know? And maybe No, maybe you, you're not. But what it does do is you go, you know, mechanics, you know, they charge a lot sometimes, but there's some value there that when I drop it off, it's done. I come back and I pick it up. There was a value to my service, you know? I maybe didn't lose a couple of years out of my life over the stress that it took to do this. But it gives you grace for the whole situation. Man, that was harder than I thought. I had no idea. Man, the reality is, I don't know how to do that. I was not as handy as I thought. Even if it does go well, you're kind of like, that was a stretch. I made it, but I think I'll be doing that again. Yeah, I saved 300 bucks, but I wasted my whole weekend.
Alan Redpath said this, to examine yourself, in fact, is to submit to the examination and scrutiny of Jesus Christ, the Lord. And this never, uh, and this never to fix attention on sin, but on Christ. And to ask him to reveal that in you, which grieves his spirit. To ask him to give you grace that it might be put away and cleansed in his precious blood. Self-examination takes the chill away from your soul. takes the hardness away from your heart. It takes the shadows away from your life. It sets the prisoner free. Not so good. You examine yourself and you get a whole new glimpse as to how fallen you still are. A work in progress. The Lord's doing something in you, but how much you need him. And if you refuse to do this, you will continue to harden your heart. You will continue to isolate and you'll feel good in your judgment. Kinda. It's like the new kind of good. Like it's not really good. It's not freedom. It's self-righteousness, but that's only feels kind of good for a second. None of it lasts. It's important though, because sometimes you think just because you're in build, just because you're in the building means you're part of the family. It's not how it works. We all have to come to that place. Like that's the thing, even like your kids, they're going to have to make a decision that they recognize that they're sinners and there's issues in their life and, and that they need help. They need, uh, there's, there's disconnect between us and a creator of the universe. And he wants to bridge the gap. The one holding it back is us. There's no kids born Christians. Just like there's no songs that are saved, Right. That's a Christian song. Oh, really? Did Christ die for that song? It's not that good. You know? No, I'm just kidding. That was something someone used to always say. I only listen to Christian Christian music. I don't don't think, I don't think songs get saved. Like, I don't know. Anyway, you get the point. It's okay. You can call it that. But this test can save us both now and in eternity by doing that testing. I, I think in obviously eternity has a huge value, but the one that we kind of like look less at is now, but that has to do with our view on how we measure strength. Cause if we measure strength in the way of, well, no strength is actually kind of like, if you're, you know, you can kind of let this stuff go and, you know, make it work. The ends justify the means. You know, if you're looking at the Lord's metrics of strength and value, then you say, no, my heart is what matters. My integrity is what matters. My character is what matters. My life is my witness. The words I say are, are great, but they don't mean anything without backing them up, right? It's always a need to test ourselves. Even if it's not salvation, the testing, it shows weakness and it shows shortcomings and it shows where we miss the mark. That's sin, right? Missing the mark. The test shows you that you can say, I did all my work. Oh yeah, I studied. Oh, I read that book, but the test will show if you did or you didn't. Right. Especially if it's not multiple choice or true or false. If it's fill in, you're like. Okay, what was the name of the sister? You're like, okay, there's no, there's no guessing on this one, huh? It's like, what's a common name? Let's say Sarah. That is incorrect, you know, 
It was Cleopatra. Okay. So close. But you missed the mark. And you recognize, I missed the mark. If you're his, Jesus is in you. Allow him to change you. That's why he asks, if, if he says that at the end there. He's like, if you're his, if you belong to him, then you test yourself. And you say, Lord, here it is. And I love what Redpath said because he's, he's like, go and, and look to Jesus, not to your sin. Oh, man, I do have sin in my life. Uh, I guess I'll never get it. No, this, this is a perfect opportunity to again say, guess what, Lord? I still need you. He's like, yeah, I know that. I'm glad you can actually see it. This is why the whole, we're going to do the Bible reading plan again. Same thing. Okay. I don't know how many people have made it through all the way through. doesn't matter. Don't raise your hand. Okay. You don't have to. Or actually, you know what? Instead, who didn't make it? Let's raise your hand if you're behind. I'm just joking. Don't do that. But there's some serious value to this. And so if you didn't make it, jump right back in. Keep going. The one-year plan can be a two-year plan. And that's fine. But the idea is you're spending time in the word. You know, that's the idea. Spending time saying, God, tell me about myself. Reveal to me where I'm off. Show me where I'm, I mean, how many times when you're going through the word, you're like, oh no, I've been acting so dumb. I've been so off. Like, Lord, forgive me. Well, that's what that is. Lord, forgive me again and again and again. And what's happening is a rough edge comes up. And he works it, and he works it, and he's working it, and he's doing something with you, and it's all part of the plan. And if not, if he's not in you, then you failed the test. That's okay. There's an answer to that too. And it is also, go to Jesus. <laughs> if you're not legit, if you're not who you say you are, that's fine. Be, that's cool. Know that. It can change right now. You're not doing yourselves any favors acting like it, faking it anyways, right? None of us are. A lot of times we like try to throw. I was telling Tori, I said, some of the hardest people to deal with are religious Christians, period. (laughs) That's just the truth. Like they are the worst because they quote scripture, but they are the hardest, nastiest hearts. It's like you're quoting scripture at me and you're kind of like, like almost like demeaning It's like you're using the sword, which is the Bible, as a weapon to hurt people. It's a defense weapon, no doubt, and it pierces, but it's 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 for good, just like Paul. Like, I'm not trying to judge you not for ease. Like, I love you guys. I'll do anything for you. But this see the religious takes it something that's good and uses it for evil. And these are the hardest people to deal with. You can I'm seriously secular, it's like people. They're so much easier to deal with. Like they don't have some weird thing. And, and, and usually the people who are like that have some sort of a sob story about their whole life, about how something got messed up and no one's actually following the Lord except for me. You're like, because if you don't understand that you need grace, you don't understand everybody else needs grace. This is a grace place. Okay. (laughs) We all need it. If you don't know you need it, you need it more than anyone. We need it. We need God's grace that's like says, yeah, I see where you're at. I know, I know where you're at. I've always known where you're at. Can I do something with it? Can we change it? Are you done living in death? Do you want to taste more life? That's where grace meets. 
Spurgeon, great quote on testing ourselves here. Now, prove yourselves. Do not merely sit in your closet and look at yourselves alone. But go out into this busy world and see what kind of piety you have. (laughs) Remember, many a man's religion will stand examination that will not stand proof. We may sit at home and look at our religion and say, well, I think this will do. Isn't that good? It's like you sitting here, you can, you can say, ah, it's pretty, I'm doing pretty good. But when you test it, you go out into the world, you find out exactly what's in you. When someone cuts you off, I think I'll just kill him, right? Like this is, I, yeah, I'm saved by grace, but I could kill someone for going in front of me a little bit, right? That makes sense. No, you find out. So the whole anger thing maybe isn't fully gone. Maybe there still needs some work to be done there. And when somebody does well, you go, I I wish that that would fall apart. Well, maybe you're not doing as well as you thought you were, right? This is being in the world. This is dealing with the world. When someone confronts you, when someone has issues with you, when you can, you find out one way or the other exactly what's going on. And, you know, I've learned that the hard way. (laughs) You think you're good. Well, it's not been tested, has it? You're going to find out, aren't we? Let's see, let's see exactly if it could do what you think it can do. I don't think so. You better test it. Make sure. But really, the testing, it brings a couple things here. Three things, I think, that comes from testing. I think it brings clarity as to where you're really at, right? As far as, like, I mean, where you could see fully where you're at. It brings reality to the situation, where you go, okay, when well, this is actually like where it really, like, no, no, nothing else. I mean, this is the, this is it. This is really it. And it brings humility. Comes from being tested. You go, oh, I know this subject, and then you get your test back, and you got a D. So you probably couldn't say you know it anymore, right? Well, no, that test was just a, a trick. No, well, you got a D, so just call it that, you know. You got to get, parents have got to sign it now. That says you failed. This is a level of humility. Okay, we didn't fail, but whatever. Say it's an F, make it a little easier. But it brings humility. And humility is the thing we all want to avoid, but is the thing that works so well for us. And it is exactly where we're supposed to be. If you're humble, God can use you. If you're prideful, he cannot. So test yourself. Say, Psalm, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Uh, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's, that's it. That's our heart. That's, if, I, I encourage you. I'm doing this. I'm feeling this way too. And you're like, Lord, search me and know me. Like, know my heart. Try me. Reveal to me the things that are, not, that are not supposed to be there. And then lead me in the way of everlasting. Don't just leave me there, but lead me into a way of life. Lord, think about it like this. Lord, show me the death that's in me and then clean that out. Show me the cancer that is in me and then clean it out and lead me into a path of health. You view it like that. You see it a little different. You go, okay, Lord, here it is. You know me. You know my heart. You know where I'm coming from. Lead me. Move me forward. I don't want to stay here. 
Paul said in verse 6, but I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified because you've seen the, the attributes of Christ working in our life. We have been selfless before you. We've loved you. We've, we've given, given, given. We've been gentle. We've been humble. We've been um, peaceful. We've been gracious. We've been full of grace. Yeah, I mean, that's gracious. We've been merciful to you. And that's where we want to be is like to have the Lord search us and know us and, and see that there's good things happening in our lives. A lot of times it's easy to like look at the things that happened in your life at one point and kind of just live off of that experience forever and just keep on going off that one experience and, and that'll be it. And these are the people that still wear their letterman jacket, even though they've been out of high school for 20 years. Like, okay, great. You had one good football game. We get it time to move on time to get something else going here you know time to time to let the past be the past and be stoked on that but move forward even i think it's even important to the church as a whole like a lot of times we think about what god's done in the past and you go man i wish it just was like that well no no what are you doing now lord why am i marginalizing you like for some reason you can't do something now Oh, yeah, God can't do it. Well, now it's gotten too bad. Now, obviously, the God who created the universe by speaking it, this is beyond his control. I mean, haven't you, I mean, have you seen the news? I'm sure God's seen it, and he's just like, this is too far gone. I can't do it. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Isn't that exactly when he moves? When it doesn't make any sense? But he's looking for people that are looking for that. To say, God, I don't understand the situation. It all looks kind of bad around me, but I know there's something beyond, below the surface that's better and different than going on than I ever expected. Help me to get there. Not to be moved by all the world stuff. The world is about anxiety. It's about anger. It's about rage. It's about, uh, I've been wronged. No, get beyond all that. Where do you want me to go? What do you want to do? Lord, how do you want to use us? This is where I was born. This is the year I was born in. This is where I live. What do we want me to do here now? I, I, you didn't, there's no accidents. It was not an accident that you're here today. It's not an accident that you were born. We are all given a purpose, an identity, a destiny in Jesus to be grabbed onto But it starts with letting the past be the past, whether it good or bad, and moving into like, where are we at now? Reality. Lord, work with me here. Use me here. And then you, I, I was talking to my friend. It was super interesting. He said uh, that there was, he was studying, uh, this guy was, who was speaking to the way that you invest today is what your future looks like. He was talking about character and disciplines. And how what we do now makes all the difference for later. So, so it's like the sooner the better, right? Just say just health and fitness. If you start investing in your health and fitness today, it will make a difference where you're at in a year, right? Whereas if you started in a year, you'd be a year behind. So if you start now, now's a good day. Start now. Maybe not today. It's raining. Pollock. Tomorrow. Always tomorrow. No, but see, 
It's kind of opening our eyes to where we're at, where we're supposed to be. But it all starts with, Lord, search me and know me. Show me the things that are hurting me and harming me and are stopping me from being who I'm supposed to be in you. All the lies that I, for some reason, have believed. Rid me of them. Cleanse me of them. Let's move forward. Lord, thank you so much for this time this morning. We just want to come before you and... um, Be real and have that time. And even as we're singing this last song, just to take a time.